0: Sly Alone is, by definition of profit, by the way, the greatest um, independent filmmaker of all time. He put up the money from his own pocket for the um, Expendables, the first Expendables movie. All oh, right. So that qualifies as an independent movie. It didn't have any studio backing and uh-huh. it made about 50 times what the budget was back. Yeah. So it, beca- it became the Expendables part one is the highest grossing independent movie thus far. Beating the Blair Witch Project. It's no Blade Runner. But, um, <laughs> it's
1: no Rocky. It's no Rocky. No.
2: Although I do still like your idea about taking all the supporting characters out of Rocky and just placing them in my bits.
0: Oh, that was that was one of the books the the secondary library, wasn't it? Aye. it's like you can have a film keep one human actor, but the rest are now played by Muppets. But it's just, if you had if you had Rocky and kept Stallone, then you could just have him, like, punching Muppets and everything.
1: No, I think I would keep in Carl Weathers. But I would replace <laughs> everyone else with Muppets. So, instead of Slice Stallone, you've got Kermit the Frog punching, punching sides of cows in a fridge and stuff. And, and then running up the stairs, his wee arms waggling around in the air. <laughs> Miss Piggy
0: no, working in a pet no. shop. <laughs> I was trying to think of the reverse. Put a Muppet in a role in a film. And the only thing I could think of was Basic Instinct, but Miss Piggy would be Sharon Stowe. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think that scene would work. so f- <laughs> Schindler, Schindler's
2: listing might be a bit insensitive, so you know.
0: Well, slightly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Actually, thing, if you're going to take an episode of Doctor Who and take everybody out, Put, well, leave one in person and put muppets in the rest of them's place
0: an episode of doctor who all right hold on so what you keep the doctor as they are and then have all the rest as muppets yeah no, yeah, let's go with that oh okay
1: um tenants finale where he's leaving and he just goes around and says goodbye to all the muppets <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm trying to think of one it's now. That's really emotional good. scene just before he
2: regenerates, talking to the
0: chickens. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why I've got like Kinder in my head, because I just think it'd be really, really funny to just like instead of the or it snake dance with the one with the mirrors,
2: and just oh, have like enough.
0: instead of like that Kinder, yeah, is the it's instead of having like the snake, it would just be a Big Bird.
2: Bert and and Ernie going mental in a a dome somewhere. (laughs) I've got the power of life and death over all of you! (laughs) Quarter (laughs) session! Slay me, Royal! Mr. Quarter session! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the uh. corner of Doctor Who fandom, that is most definitely more ZX81 than D84. It's the Polis Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. I'm Dave. I'm Cameron. Right, we're back on familiar territory this time round. We've got something we can actually see. And it yeah. moves. <laughs> There's moving people inside their telly boxes, which corrupts. <laughs>
0: Yes, there's like sounds and movement and it's actually like how it was broadcast at the time and everything.
1: (laughs) Doesn't mean it was any good though, just speaking (laughs) as the prosecution.
0: Getting Getting the salvo in early there, isn't he?
2: I like how we always break the audience in early, breaking them in gently right at the start and just go straight for the jugular, both of you. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, I know. It's like, since we sort of did, just did me versus Dave all the time, it's like we both kind of leap across the courtroom strangling each other right within a yeah. few seconds.
1: <laughs> we're both going for pre pre preemptive strikes. <laughs> yeah. Soon we're just going to start sending each other abusive messages in the days of the before.
0: We will, aye. Well, soon we'll just like we use this point to like preemptively strike for the next episode, even though we don't know what we're covering yet.
2: <laughs> that could probably be a future YouTube special, it's just the fairy you stripped to the waist in a car park, armed with crowbars, just shouting about time in the ranny about six months before we get to it. Yeah, yeah stripped to the waist. <laughs> can I yeah, just check that
1: down to the waist, <laughs> or stripped <laughs> up to the waist? What are we most comfortable with, Dave? I'd say we do half each. Shorts versus foreskins.
0: But enough about American football.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that was
2: the original first draft for West Side Story, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Oh.
0: Was that high?
1: Starring John Barman.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's not bad. Five minutes in, first Barman joke. Uh,
2: yeah. Barman joke, tick off the rails, check. Just down <laughs> into the gutter already, check. For, you know, we're getting through the staples here. Oh, it's yes. box bingo. Okay, before we drag this down into any further depths of depravity, shall we uh, get on with the admin from last time? Yes, let's do the housekeeping. How much did I lose by? Well, it's closer than you might expect. Last time we put the smugglers on trial, an episode which has basically no moving parts, uh, based entirely on a reconstruction, so it would have been a tricky one. So, you know, I think people may have a bit of a, a difficult time trying to judge this one, if it was guilty or not guilty, so shall we see
1: what they decided? Yeah. I think people oh, may have also had a trouble finding it to watch. Because mm, unless you, know. you go relatively deep down like the daily motion video holes on the internet, it's hard to find. Yeah, yeah there's it also reconstructions and audios, so yeah, you know, you can get us some sort of handle on it. But... Yeah. It's it's not necessarily the kind of thing people would buy either unless they are insane completists, like some people are like. <laughs> anyway, episode twenty
2: six was the smugglers. Let's find out what the results were. Guilty. Forty six percent. Not guilty, 54%. So Cameron just squeaks that one. I
0: and that thought was I was hiding there.
2: That was 50/50 up until the, like, the last hour. So there you go. That's the smuggler's not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. It goes into the unofficial, official canon of Doctor Who. It means Cameron will be picking from votes of justice later on in tonight's episode. Yeah. All
0: right. Can I uh, propose something then? Okay. Yes. Seen as I've had a couple in a row, right? Uh, I'll say I still do I'll still do the pick. Right. Mm-hmm. But Dave gets to choose whether he's defending or prosecuting it.
1: Okay, that seems fair, Dave. Happy with that. Works for me. Okay. I'll choose to defend. I don't even know what
2: it is yet, I'll choose to defend it. <laughs> Are you're the cost
0: of
2: the, hell I'm to the die on. <laughs> Fear her time and worry. It's definitely gonna be one of those two. Okay then, if you're happy to do that, that's what we'll do. It takes something away from the envelopes of justice at the end, some of the mystery and intrigue but never mind. Eh?
1: We still get to pick, there's still a mystery there. There's still
0: a mystery about which
1: episode it's gonna be. We don't know which episode, we just know that it's gonna be one of the good ones. It's gonna be an episode of Doctor Who, we know that much. Unless the wrong envelopes have got in there and it's gonna be an episode of Hancock's half hour.
0: <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'd do that. <laughs>
2: Is the photographer guilty or not guilty of crimes against Hancock? (laughs) That's not a bad idea for a spin-off, because, you know, know, we're we're not juggling enough plates when we're not doing this, are we? So let's chuck another one into the mix.
1: But you could actually do it so that it cuts off exactly half an hour in, no matter what stage of the podcast you're at, (laughs) midway through a sentence just cuts off.
2: (laughs) You have to remember, this is us doing this, so we maybe get into the intro and nothing else.
0: We'd explain what we're going to do, explain what we're going to talk and that would be it, we'd just cut out. Yeah, just go. Be gone. you never know.
2: Join us next time. In the meantime, join Ben and Mark for their
1: podcast on Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You will be. Uh, Mark Donaldson, open all hours. (laughs) Hey, that's just a rumour.
0: I've never met the guy. I can't possibly comment.
1: (laughs) I've only met him
2: once, I can comment. It's fine. right.
0: okay. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Aye, come on, that, that's dangerous ground to get on. When you met him, though at a Doctor Who pub quiz, where he got really angry about the canine question.
1: You've seen how quick that man can turn. Do you want to do you want to trifle with that, Dave? I'm sorry, but there's just jokes in there about how quick he can turn that I'm not going to make. <laughs> right, I think we should maybe get on with this before anything. I think we
0: should, yeah. <laughs> and this we is we friends. Is, on, <laughs> so we've done the so
1: admin. We've done some insulting of other podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah. Besides <laughs> like, oh, our own
1: spin-offs. <laughs> You haven't done the advert for your Twitch stream yet,
2: like I said, I'm not going to sink to those levels. <clears throat> okay, let's go back to series 14 of Doctor Who, it's 1977, this time we're putting the robots of death on trial.
0: Now, you all know that Chubb is dead. One of you killed him. The question
2: is, which one? And why? Well we're travellers, we came here by accident. A hundred million square miles of uncharted desert, and you just stumbled across us. It. It's a small world. Yeah. I suppose it's also a coincidence that as soon as you two arrive, three of our people are killed. Well? Oh, sorry, I thought it was a rhetorical. Yes, it's just a coincidence. Look, either one of us murdered them, or they did. Which do you think is the more likely? Um, <clears throat> there is one other possibility you seem to have We've heard quite enough out of you. You know... You're a classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the size
1: of the brain.
0: You don't seem to be taking this very seriously,
1: Doctor. I'm taking it very, very seriously. I have an uncomfortable feeling. If the murder doesn't kill us, the commander will. Kill the doctor. Kill the doctor. Kill the doctor.
2: Oh, Yoshimi. Oh. But you So, The Robots of Death was written by Chris Boucher, directed by Michael E. Bryant and produced by Philip Hinchcliffe. It was first broadcast between the 29th of January and the 19th of February 1977. Starred Tom Baker as a Doctor, Louise Jameson as Leela, with Russell Hunter as Uvanov, who you might remember from Shooting Stars. Pamela Salem as Toos, David Bailey as Dask, Greg Lally Depoldme as D84 and Miles Fothergill as SV7. Viewing figures for this one were £12.8 million for part one. for part 2, 13.1 million for part 3, and 12.6 for part 4.
1: Do you think they came up with the story or the title first? (laughs) Because it's like, hey, right, so we've done this story, it's a really good story. What do we call it? I don't know, I've kind of run out of imagination. Robots of Death? Yeah, that'll do. Or do you think they spun a wheel in the office and went, Robots of (laughs) Death? (laughs) Alright, now we have to write the story to go with it. (laughs) I was listening to it on the time last. It's like heaven bent, hell sent. It's all these really interesting, weird episode titles yeah. with these things. Back then, robots of death. That'll yeah, be. some of them are a bit lacking in imagination, aren't they? I mean,
2: the smugglers. Smugglers. <laughs> it's a, very literal <laughs> episode titles. Yeah. But to be, to be fair, from the ep- historical episodes, you can't really call them the stabby bastard pirates of doom, can you? No. because I think we could though. Saying,
0: yeah, we could. Yeah. Can you imagine that being announced to BBC like, proper? <laughs> Queen's English voice. And now on BBC <laughs> One, Stabby Bastards of Pirate Doom.
2: It's five twenty on a Saturday evening.
0: Gather <laughs> the children round <laughs> for Stabby Bastards. <clears throat>
2: yeah, it's an episode they've been tops. So we'll never forget.
1: <laughs> oh. anyway <laughs> it's the podcast right. people listen to for up to the minute jokes.
0: Oh yes one foot in
2: the 50s right who's doing what on this episode then Cameron you're defending I mission.
0: am <laughs> defending robots of death because if anyone who saw the um envelopes of justice last time out I, I was quite excited when this one uh, got drawn because I like robots of death
1: yeah and one I, I think if anyone that wasn't sure the fact that was slagging off before I'd even started this
2: <laughs> I, I prosecuted
1: <laughs> yeah Okay,
2: let's get into it And then. Part one, Calvin. take this away.
0: Let's go, right, okay. I've got um, a um, little note here that just says uh, Rocky Planet Big Machine. Is how I open up my notes here. Because we are on... Uh, <clears throat> there's a nice bit of model work that goes on for the first opening of this because we do get the um, traditional sort of Doctor Who sort of planetscape and then this massive sort of drilling machine going through it and um, digging up something we know not what yet. We then go inside... To the cabin which is like a crew quarters which like
1: the set of made in Chelsea
0: yeah this is what I was about to say this, the, <laughs> the first thing I'll probably point out in you know, you know how <laughs> you know how like there's episodes and stories in Doctor Who that you can look at like stills from and know it
2: oh oh is he going again that's I said the half hour limit for Cameron <laughs> okay, I uh, because this isn't a visual medium. Uh, Cameron's frozen on Skype. Well, Is, when he's oh, he's back! No, he's moving. He's moving. back you? again. Yeah, you're, you're back. back again.
0: Oh, back again. Oh, There we oh. go. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're just yeah. saying how
1: you were instantly on the side of the robots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a bit of a definite contrast between in Robots to Death between the kind of gritty mining element of it with like um, you know big machines and dirt and grit and the crew quarters who all essentially look like they've come from some futuristic fashion show and they're all about to walk down the catwalk and give a wee twirl at
2: yeah. the end.
0: There's a it's lot of really, like face paint on them.
2: It's not really practical workwear
0: really is it? Not particularly. It, it's more no. practical than their uniforms. Well yeah there's an element of that but I think as it was there's our doctor who stories that you can kind of recognize from having like one frame of them or maybe a couple of frames you can instantly look at them and go oh that's xyz story or that's it you know you can see a million and one still frames of doctor in Quarry somewhere and you'd have to spend a couple of minutes going is that maybe it might be that one i don't know yeah. whereas robots of death you can pretty much instantly recognize from its look in that sense and i love that contrast between the two things the sort of gritty mining side of it and this manual job and this kind of like weird sort of fashion show thing going on on the inside of it you know what are we saying saying about that
1: so what you're saying is that it doesn't actually look or feel like an episode of Doctor Who because you can't instantly recognise it for what it is
0: (laughs) no you can instantly recognise it as robots of death in the sense that if you're a Doctor Who fan you can look at a still from this and go yes definitely robots of death so it becomes kind of almost iconic in that sense, in the fact that there's no ambiguity about it. You can instantly go to the exact story. We have a conversation at the start about between the crew members about trusting robots, because there's lots of uh, robots around them that are all helping out, including one guy who's getting his shoulder worked on and massaged, uh, and then his mate's telling him about how there's another robot somewhere else and it malfunctioned and ripped his arm clean off at the shoulder. So there's obviously little kind of Distrust going on in some members between um, the robotic path of the crew. It, it kind of leads into what's going to come up later on. Basically. Yeah,
1: it's quite a lot of foreshadowing, largely.
0: There's a lot of foreshadowing going on here. Yeah. <laughs> there's also I've got down here in my notes. There's there's a there's a confident side to this. There was a a period kind of around about sort of the 60s, 70s where science fiction got really kind of optimistic. The kind of forward thinking, because it wasn't that long ago since obviously we were all, you know man was on the moon and there's this kind of like whole kind of you know oh yeah we can do this we could go to other planets, which I think as the 80s and the 90s went on and up to now we've kind of lost a lot of that, a lot of you know um space travel is really really difficult and it's you know you may you might die Now it's Lovely. obviously folk die in this but not through any kind of accident or any kind of you know planetary thing going on, but I like this side of it because there's a certain sort of ease to it all, almost, with the crew. <laughs> Hence, like, the costumes. They're all lounging around, basically, drinking martinis See, at the very start of it.
1: That's what I had trouble with. Because you start off, you know, it's this deep, dark, gritty mining planet, and then all of a sudden, you've gone to this lounge bar where they're just sitting chatting, getting massages on sofas with, like, tiger skins lying around. Like, <laughs> Okay so the two stories are going to converge later because these are two completely different locations.
0: No you've already seen through the window. Not. You've already the camera's <laughs> already gone through the window of the of the exterior of the craft and then gone into there. So you kind of know yeah, it's but, the same thing.
1: But it doesn't make sense that they're the same thing. Cuz the desolate bleak mining planet with the big gray slab-sided mining craft and then they're and they're having smoothies and discussing Who's going to win at chess and that kind of thing and gossiping? Yeah, especially very jarring. Yeah, because the thing that I kept thinking of would be Red Dwarf. Sci fi mining. It's going to be either Dune or Red Dwarf. And right. this went from being Red Dwarf, where it's a mining ship, to suddenly everything was decorated by Cat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and that's instantly what I thought. I was like, yeah, Jeff, it's all deaths.
1: And it's, what? You wouldn't let that happen. Like, none of them are gruff mining types.
0: Yeah, there's no grunts on board,
2: is there?
1: It's very
0: genteel. There's no one really sort of lugging anything around, yeah, I'll grant you that. I still will say it's certainly a change. It's certainly something you're maybe not used to. Because I think, yeah, you're right. If your contrast is going to be Red Dwarf, then obviously Red Dwarf is... All the interiors are like proper mining ships with you know, crap food being served and um, just little small bunks rather than elaborate hotel suite style rooms. But I, I personally like that as the contrast. I, I like Robots to Death for having that as a contrast. It, it's yeah. the thing.
1: And as you said, the 70s sci-fi, a lot of it was very clean and light. Yeah. It was all Buck Rogers.
0: Exactly. It was I all think... very
1: happy and light and I think even that they weren't quite light and happy enough with it. It wasn't clean enough. Yeah, I think you're right about
2: what you're saying about 70s sci-fi. There's a very sort of sudden handbrake turn from the likes of 2001 into Alien. Yeah. Whatever's I was in just very about to say, and probably,
0: probably Alien is probably the main turning point with that being so successful. You know, like space is difficult, it's really cramped, and things will kill you.
1: <laughs> I think you can also put the original Star Wars in there in between 2001 and Alien. Yeah, that's true. Because it's not oh. all happiness, but it's not the gritty darkness either. Mm-hmm. No. It's basically just the same as we've got down here, but in space. True. Which, which I think also comes up in this when all the class stuff starts coming out mm-hmm. with the founding families and... Why won't you respect me? it because I'm not rich.
0: And it's... No, it's because you're an <laughs> ox <laughs> but,
1: but that's getting ahead of myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. I forgot that this one had the... Um, second TARDIS console.
2: Yeah, yeah. The library Which, room.
0: Yeah, the library, and I, I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot. I cannot remember how many stories this featured in, but I remember it not being a lot.
2: It's only in this series, I think. It was put into storage at the end of the series and warped so badly that they can never use it again, so that's why we go back to the sort of all-white console room later on. Yeah, It's a bit of a shame. What, what are you thinking of the console room?
0: I just think it's really kind of Boring. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a lot going for it, is there? No, yeah. I keep I keep thinking like Ian McShane's gonna walk on and start, you know, as Lovejoy joy and start trying to sell bits of it.
2: And his <laughs> mate I... Tinker <laughs> I was gonna say the doctor Leela and Tinker investigate
0: a <laughs> sand mine With a, you know trying to sell you a cabinet at the end of it, you know, someone from the Antiques Roadshow going, Well I think you'll find uh, it's worth, Doctor. Pay attention, 100-
2: Leela. This is your future. You're going to end up in Bergerac one day.
0: <laughs> £150. Or, pounds.
1: or maybe Bergerac will end up in you.
0: <laughs> Depends on if that jumper's got any static or not. Stinging. Anyway. So, yeah, Leela's got her yo yo, which she seems to think that she has to bounce up and down to keep the magic going, and uh, the Doctor's the whole thing.
1: Dave, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. My note for this bit only says Leela's hot magic wrist action. That's all it says about the entire scene.
0: Well, that's your note, Dave.
1: actually it also goes on to say, Doctor Ted, these ones are far away.
0: Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, i have put that down here as well. Yeah, it's a bit like the you know, the, the cow thing. One of the I was got the one of the few times the TARDIS workings are actually explained. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is yeah. quite been- good.
2: It's very much yes. got an element of. I'm tired of explaining this. Look, here's some boxes.
0: Yeah, well, you you know, usually you get the doctor kind of going. Well, yeah, it's it's bigger than the inside deal, and that's it. And it's quite neat that he actually has what essentially ends up being a scientific demonstration. Yeah. As to how to understand how this works. Oh, you know, this one might be far away and smaller, but if you could have those in the same plane, and you put one in, you could put what was the smaller one, or the bigger one inside what was the smaller one. Kind of yeah. idea. I like that. It's um, a nice change. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Contrary to the smugglers, he can now seemingly control the TARDIS because uh, we've landed inside something metal, apparently. Yeah, it's uh, the ship's crew are all at station because, unknown to the Doctor, they've landed the TARDIS in one of the hops or one of the intakes for the uh, for the mining vessel. Yeah. And um, there's about to be a sandstorm rolling in. But obviously the Doctor and they don't currently know that. So they're just wandering around the place.
1: Yeah. I quite like the fact that the Doctor is actually quite honest about it. If you don't carry a weapon, you'll be fine. Nine times out of ten. Because C- that's yeah. roughly what happens.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: So. I mean, he tells her not to take a gun, so watch this as is pulls out a knife instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, you know. don't bring a gun. A massive chip, that's fine, but no guns. Yeah,
0: no guns. No, I won't have any violence. But yeah, bring your knife. Fine. Stick one in the ribs.
1: Yeah.
0: You'll be grand.
1: Don't shoot somebody. That's the coward's way. Stab them.
0: (laughs) Stab them instead. (laughs) Send you a close up. I have a note here saying the guy who didn't trust robots in the first scene is obviously the first to die (laughs) because he's the one that goes to the cupboard and starts uh, to get something uh, because the storm's going on. They need a piece of equipment. And he goes to the cupboard and then calls for a robot for help and it just comes in and strangles him. Then, apparently, the ship's monitors indicate an obstruction in the scoop deck. Uh, so they pick up the TARDIS and take it away uh, somewhere, leaving Leela and the Doctor wandering around one of these um, intakes. One of the crew, called Pool, um, is the first to find the body uh, and then goes back to the bridge and uh, has a wonderful line of, um, you know, people don't strangle themselves. Then there's oh, a whole...
1: Ch- Michael Hutchins dead. <laughs>
0: The I've heard some people enjoy that kind of thing. <laughs> Satsumas, Dear God. <laughs> and then there's a big question about whether they cancel this run. And it's at this point we establish that some of the crew are more money motivated than others, maybe. In some mainly, we ca-
1: are very, very callous.
0: Well, Commander Ivanov basically <laughs> is the yeah. main guy in this, who's very much money oriented. Um, if somebody
1: comes into you and says, I found a body, one of the crew's dead, he doesn't even ask how he died. Because no. <laughs> I kind of want to know. <laughs> like, just... alright, that's fine, let's get on with work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll investigate it afterwards, <laughs> after we've drilled some more. So the sandstorm's incoming, the shutters come down, they cancel this run so they lose all the money on it. And Poole and the commander go find the body, it has a red disc on it, and no one's quite sure what this little red disc is on his hand. The captain Yuvanov then does say, "The sooner we get back to the bridge, the sooner we can get our quarters." All the crew are gathered together, and this is the kind of early doors sort of Agatha Christie Hercule Poirot moment of "Let's all find the killer." Or, it must have been you because you didn't like him, but it can't have been me because I was here at this time, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Because essentially, this w- this is what this is. This is a detective story in space.
1: Yeah. 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 and this is the staff meeting where everyone tries to blame everyone else. Yes.
0: Everyone paints all the little kind of crew like, arguments and bitterness start bubbling up resentments. to the top. Yeah. The resentments and it starts getting a little bit um a piggy. At this moment though, we've still got this bit of intrigue going on. But the Doctor and Leela haven't really been in the actual story that much.
1: Mm-hmm. No. They've, they've been beside beside
0: it. Yeah, they've been beside it and they're there, but they've actually they've not been Discovered yet, and they haven't actually had any face-to-face meetings with any of these crew members yet.
1: Yeah, it's in the crew meeting scene where Gary Glitter tells them all that it's a corpse marker.
0: <laughs> yes, it just
1: reminds me of Gary Glitter.
0: <laughs> I can see where you're coming from.
2: <laughs> we would just like to point out that he means the character in Doctor Who, not not anything relating to the actor's private life.
1: No, <laughs> no. Just in case yes. he's still alive and wants to sue us. He is to very much alive. Even clearer. The face of the character reminds me of the man, Paul Gadd. How's that? <laughs> Much better. Because Gary Glare was also a character, technically.
0: Who's the guy that plays um, Dask again?
1: Uh, Dask, David... I will screw up and I will tell you, is...
0: Dask is
2: played... <laughs> <laughs> Dask is played by Jimmy Sop... Supp- no, sorry, uh, David Bailey.
0: David Bailey, he's a a professional photographer now See, it's not that a David Bailey really. no it no I wikipedia, wikipedia did him the other day and <laughs> the actor uh, in Robots of Death and uh, went through the sort of like rabbit hole of various websites and he has a uh, he's a photographer now in London he's got a professional photography business nice uh, it's 250 quid for a day's worth of portraits if you're interested not bad
1: actually <laughs> yeah how do you survive in London only making that money I don't know maybe you just do a lot of portraits a day
2: I think we know where we need to go do the post-box headshots for all the proportional material.
0: Exactly, yeah, for all the proportional material. Which, if it's anything like the photograph we took of the TARDIS in Manchester a couple of years ago, my mum will probably have that on her wall as well. <laughs> nice. uh, anyway, yeah, I've got it down here. The commander's trying to do his very best uh, Poirot impression here. As we said, Dask, it says the red uh, disc is a corpse marker. It's a deactivation signal for robots, so the engineers stick the... Quartz um, marker on the hand of a robot that's just dead and does not got any life in it anymore. It um, a nice
2: sort of calling card later on, considering what happens.
0: Yes. A sort of yeah, Jack the
2: Ripper-esque, believing yeah.
0: The Doctor and Leela, in the meantime, have been picked up uh, by the robots um, because the hopper was stopped in time for them not to be shredded into a million bits by sand. And uh, they're brought up to the bridge and because, obviously, they are two strange people who have suddenly appeared when someone dies they're automatically accused of being murderers. Much like the smugglers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're from around here. You must have done lads. it. You're not from around here. You just are right. You must be a murderer. There's a little bit of a question here about how, why humans are needed on the actual ship when they could have just had an entire ship full of robots, um, which I yeah. think is a good thing to address because that's probably the first thing that people would come up with. We'll go, hold on. Wouldn't you? If this is so risky and so terrible a thing to be doing and um, manual labour, would you not just have robots do it? So the commander does say the robots don't have instincts, they'd be left to get, lucky to get half of what we will which I think explains it rather nicely So you, there's well, still that it explains
1: some of it It explains why you might have one or two humans on board What does it eight of them do? Someone the whole crew works at the whole time
0: Someone has to be there Dave to model the winter catalogue <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can't argue with that
0: yeah. the doctor and Leela are told to wait in a lounge by one of the robots for anyone to come by but uh, they um, don't effectively <laughs> and they go for a little wander uh, and then in this process for some reason Leela kind of just automatically just walks into the cupboard that the body was found in kind of randomly she's not really even just sort of heading anywhere or finds anything she just literally just goes well I'm going here now It's because she's got
1: special womanly senses.
0: She's a hunter. Yeah. So Leela's in the room with the body, which probably is not going to help their defence. And (laughs) uh, The Doctor finds the TARDIS, thankfully. And then the Doctor ends up in the um, hopper that they're getting all the stones out of. There's another body in the chute as well. And the door starts behind him, and it begins to fill up. And we get uh, Tom Baker looking to the sky as many a rock falls upon him. End of episode one. Yeah.
1: So the, Leela goes wandering off for no particular reason, even though she's really uncomfortable in this steel ship. Mm-hmm. We don't even see her wandering off. She just wanders off. We don't know why she does it. She just does it.
0: Yeah, I, I had to actually kind of rewind it. I will say <laughs> this. I had to kind of rewind the scene to go, there must be something that makes her do that. But then there's not. No. <laughs> she literally just goes, Whoop! <laughs>
1: yeah, and then Tom Baker does exactly the same thing. He finds the TARDIS, looks at the door, and then walks ten feet to his right and goes somewhere else. Doesn't go into the TARDIS, yeah. doesn't do anything. Kind to- of,
0: I'll go somewhere else now. And uh, it takes him kind of like a good minute or two to realise that Leela's not there. Yeah. It's that the whole thing. Sometimes the Doctor is so wrapped up in his own sort of world and especially the fourth one really sometimes. In that he will blatantly just forget the fact. That, oh, I've got people with me. Oh yeah. Um, damn. Yeah.
1: And then he finds the body and it starts raining cereal because that's yeah. what it looks like.
0: Well, I've got at the start of episode two. I have got um, snorkeling and pork scratchings. Nice. Which, um, if that's <laughs> yeah. the episode title, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> um, There's
2: still three episodes to go yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, we could could also, appear. Uh, are we launching straight into number two?
2: Let's we'll see why not, Dave, are you happy with that? Yep, let's go for it. Okay.
0: Okay, so I say, um the doctor for whatever reason has packed a snorkel in his jacket. And that's what he uses to prevent himself from drowning in amongst all this um Yeah. Bar, bar snacks.
2: The snorkel that he carries absolutely everywhere with him. At let's all times. Say, yeah, yeah,
0: all times you need a snorkel. The doctor is then sort of dragged away by machines for because they discovered him in the um the Um, hopper so he's instantly dragged out of there i I,
2: I know he's a robot but i quite like S V 7s reaction at this point he's expressionless but the body language screams for fuck's sake mate what are you doing in there
0: (laughs) it's like why (coughs) were you in there to be honest though well i'll probably talk more about it when i get to d84 because i quite like the performance of d84 even though it's by nature limited But anyway, Leela's back in the lounge, there's another body, and uh, D-84, as we know, in one of the uh, uh, one of the robots grabs Leela, then sort of protests that he didn't kill him, and it's like, if I had killed him, would I not have killed you too? And then the commander pitches up in amongst all this scene, and uh, we get the wonderful Leela line of, you try that again, I'll cripple you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but Iliflitz like, walks into the room and slaps her. Yes, she does. There's
0: a bit of d- domestic <laughs> violence goes on straight off.
1: not, not who is this? What's she doing here? Not where did you find her? Just walking the fucking take some of this
0: Yep. <laughs> and so we end up essentially amongst all of this. That this is finally the moment that the Doctor and Leela sort of hold before the crew to try and work out who they are and where they've come from and uh, what's happening with it. We get probably the best jelly baby moment in Doctor Who history.
2: <laughs> Well, I beg to. I, I, in my impartial role as judge, I know, but I beg to differ that as a terrible waste of jelly babies. Exactly. Oh, yes. It's guilty.
1: Case closed. That's it. <laughs> End <laughs> of episode. Five it's seconds. okay. It, it was a prop jelly baby. It wasn't oh, real. Okay, right, okay. So, That's yes. fine. <laughs> it was a real baby, not a jelly baby.
0: Which is just the marvellous kind of like, would you like a jelly baby? Shut up! A simple no thank you would have sufficed.
1: Yeah. Leela, stand there being a normal woman, restrained by a robot, I'm going to walk out of the room just smack fuck out of her this big six-foot man offers me a jelly baby. I'm just going to tell the shark i not going to hit him. No stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah. that's <laughs> stupid.
0: It's fine. So we get, uh, V8 has to, is, is told to lock up these two sto- uh, these two strangers, rather. So the Doctor and uh, Leela are away due uh, some incarceration point in the ship. But we then get a scene with the robot, one of the robots has been commanded to kill Zilda, but we don't see who gives the command.
1: No, we just see some tinfoil shoes.
0: Yes, some rather wonderful tinfoil slippers going on. It's yeah. just marvellous. Zilda decides that she's off on a break even though she seems to have been on the bridge for about ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, so she's away into a room on her own. Poole visits the Doctor and Leela at this point and this is the bit where Leela tells the Doctor that Pool moves like a hunter. Yes. He constantly. moves
1: like he went to
0: Rada. He <laughs> <laughs> probably did. Yep. So there was one, uh, and then the doctor um, tries to reason with Poole and say that he might have an idea about who committed the murders. Poole then goes, all right, okay, there's a bit of a shifty deal kind of goes on to free him up a little bit. And then uh, as soon as he's free, the doctor's saying, well, one of your robots could have done it. Which, to Poole at the moment, is a ludicrous idea. And utterly stupid. There's this kind of like, Poole's very much still, that's not possible because... It's It would be against their very function.
1: Uh, would know. it be a breach of Asimov's three laws of robotics that we're not That's allowed to mention directly?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. They go to the storage Do- room. <laughs> Doctor Who and the royalties of death.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cam. On you go.
0: That's right. They go to the storage room where the first body was, where Chubb died, and Poole explains how this all happened, and there's a bit of a sort of crime watch reconstruction by the doctor. Uh in the, it's kind of like going, Well, you know, you know, try to grab this, what would you do? What would you do? I'd call the robot. Oh, you'd call the robot. So that's when he's trying to convince him that a yeah. robot may have done it. Zilda at um, this point It's almost sorry.
1: like he's gonna ask him one of those questions where he goes, And was she dead when you left her there? No she wasn't. <laughs> Shit, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's like he's almost leading him to inco- like do something wrong to himself.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Zelda then finds something upsetting in Captain Yuvanov's room. Yeah, probably
1: on the
2: wall.
0: Does... Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit or of decor going also... on. Yeah, well, you know, we can't all That's be. That's why a... this episode's
1: <laughs> guilty for the art.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for the
2: decor of the rooms. Looks like it's been bought at a sale. Guilty of crimes against Doctor guilty Who.
0: Guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Then the captain's still on the bridge. Zelda manages to get on the sort of intercom thing. And start saying that it was um, it was the captain all along, and etc etc etc. And then um, before anyone has a chance to get anything more information out of Zilda, she is deaded <laughs> and killed as she stands. There's a whole thing about if the do- if a ro- if a robot's revealed to be a murderer, then it's pretty much the end of society because they rely on robots so much, and if a robot can be seen to be a murderer and go off its original program and then it's going to be complete collapse of what they know and we're going to go into Blade Runner. And, uh, yeah, which is both true and not because what they would do is just turn them into military robots.
1: Sell them to people. Pretty take much. over the universe.
0: They wouldn't be on a mining ship anymore. At this point is um, the <clears throat> whole thing is that uh, the, the Doctor and Leela have again gone missing and escaped. So you get the Captain Ivanov going, get the Tin Brains to do another search. We get... This is the the kind of finale of the second episode is that the... Everyone's on the bridge. The ship veers to one side because the motors are jammed. They start to overload. The whole bit's going to explode because the drive links have apparently been sabotaged and nothing they'll do uh, will stop it. The Doctor has a great idea of trying to, like, disconnect the power cords and then... um, Dask tries to stop the doctor, so they're fighting over the control pile, essentially. Yeah. Um, which is Dask's first kind of inkling that all might not be well within. <laughs> we and, skipped uh, over
2: the sort of slightly weird part where Zelda dies, and we sort of find out that Uvinov had feelings for her. And oh point, yeah. Yeah. I mean at this point the relationship seems very much <coughs> a sort of pillar pigtails in the playground sort of thing, you know?
0: Yeah, they are genuinely not really on great terms with each other. I don't know what you mean though. Yeah, it's kinda like... never
2: never
1: referenced again afterwards. No I think, <laughs> I think it's maybe more guilt over past events that he feels protective of her and he wants her to like him. Okay. But, thanks for yeah, that, that that's part of <laughs> but this is part of what I was gonna say about this episode. People are dying. You're short staffed. So people are just going to go on their breaks on their own and go back to their quarters. <laughs> or in fact, they're going not to go to the captain's quarters. No, I was going locked. to say, not
0: even her quarters.
1: She ends <laughs> up going to the captain's. Back in my day when there was multiple murders on board the mining ship, we didn't even <laughs> lock our doors.
0: No, we just left them open.
1: Despite the fact that later on, they lock the doors. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's only the robots that know how to lock the doors.
0: I think it's only really when they, they start locking the doors where they think it's robots doing stuff, So don't they? Yeah. When it's kind of like they start realizing there's a bit of a revolt on, then that's when they start locking doors, and that's when it becomes that, a bit more distinct between humans and robots.
2: They're understandably a bit twitchy at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah. aye, it's a little Twitch bit kind of like say, <laughs>
2: <King> of <laughs> stuff of the Funny third. you should mention it, Dave.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's it. We're we're, we're halfway through, and I, I quite there's a bit of a balance act on this cliffhanger because. If the engines are knocked off, they're going to sink into the sand. If the engines aren't knocked off, the ship's going to explode. So it's yeah. a bit of a quick choice that has to be made. It's probably the only bit in this story that the doctor kind of really has to get amazingly technical with stuff because a lot of this is the doctor being a detective and actually working through evidence and analysing what people are saying and. Everyone's sort of side of the story and not yeah. having to just leap around with computers and you know having to disconnect wires and
1: reprogram things and reprogram yeah.
0: things. I think it's interesting from that point of view is because it's it is you know, you, 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 it describes Agatha Christie in space and this is the doctor being a detective and it's not often I don't think you see that in a major way in a story.
1: Not without it's having silly. to eventually use some kind of science, a timey, wimey me sonic screwdriver. Yes, yeah,
0: exactly. Which he
1: exactly. doesn't really do in this. No. Uh, I was going to say Talons are wearing Chiang, but he's just dressed as Sherlock
2: Holmes.
0: There's not any sort of actual detective. Yeah, work yeah, yeah. Such he's such gonna... yeah. not, He's not really. Most of that is seemingly just chasing someone through a sewer. Hmm. Which is either the greatest thing in Doctor Who or the worst thing in Doctor Who, depending on when <laughs> we draw it and what I get. So yeah, um, I quite like that as a, a as, as a cliffhanger because it literally can go. It's not really a case of, oh, he does this and he'll save everyone. There's still an element of, we're still a little bit screwed, but we're maybe less screwed if I do this kind of idea. Yeah. And think about that on the spur of the moment. What's the best of these two pretty crap solutions? To it's this almost a that-
1: choose-your-own-adventure ending. Because there's two different ways they can go.
0: yeah. And we don't know
1: which is best. We don't know which is worse. They're just different. It's not, oh, they're going to die unless they get out of it. So we know they'll get out of it. Whereas they don't know which option they're going to go for.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Which makes a nice change for a cliffhanger. Yeah,
0: because usually you get a cliffhanger like going, oh, there's an obvious way out of this. And it's all sunshine and roses. Or there's this option, which means that this person dies. Whereas in this bit, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So I quite that for a halfway point in the story, that ain't bad.
1: No, it's not. Okay, so enough
0: halfway
2: yeah. points. So we have our own. Uh, then come back for episodes three and four. I think we shall. Let's
1: Go do that then. then. We're racking right. through it. Yeah, well, it's gonna be a short it. episode.
0: How was that? Forty-five <laughs> minutes. I'm gonna need to make up going. Some
1: nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought for the first couple of minutes we were getting a bit kind of like stu- bo- oh, we're getting a bit bogged down in detail here. Detail. I'm only on my first paragraph, <laughs> and I thought, no, let's go.
2: Make up some nonsense, like we haven't been doing that for the last 26 episodes.
0: Yep, pretty much.
1: Been doing it for the last 40 years. <laughs>
0: Three. There we go. So, the Dask wrecks the engines anyway and actually starts to come round to the Doctor's way of thinking. So that's how that one gets resolved. In this turmoil, uh, Toos is injured and her arm is fixed by using the most glam rock bandage you'll ever see in your life. It's very it's Steven a, Tyler. It's very, very <laughs> Steven Tyler. Um, this is also the bit where Poole now thinks the commander's kind of done it, all the murders, because of what... Um, uh, Leela was uh, uh, "What, uh, what's her name ah I've forgotten her name Zilda what Zilda was saying so this is the moment also that Dask buggers off to repair the drive and the ship eventually corrects itself
1: yeah um, but you've skipped over the important part of Leela's one. tribal saying when you're bleeding uh, look for a man with scars what the it, fuck does that mean yeah that's not advice that's a clue from 321 <laughs> It's not a clue to anything. It's just yeah, like a did, slow mental breakdown.
0: I did forget that, actually, yeah. And it's a bit. Like, I, I, I so remember that and watched it again
1: because I couldn't work out if it was meant to mean something that I've missed.
0: It does sound like something they just pulled out of a cracker and went, yeah, we'll just have that. It's fine. You know, them really crap, like, fortune cookies, cookies you get? Yeah. yeah, it's just like kind of going, oh, parrots will show the way. It's like, well. Yeah. <laughs> Pool just locked lock Leela in the lounge room. There's a lot of Leela getting locked in places, it would seem, in this story. Yeah. She's... I know we're always banging on about companions and having parts to play. I don't... Maybe... I will probably concede that this isn't the best use of a companion in this overall story. She doesn't really get to do an awful lot. I will no. concede that point. She, this is a bit of the day off,
1: she finds a body, she gets locked in, she Wise. gets locked in, she gets <laughs> locked in, Yes. she makes up a random tribal saying, she gets locked in, that's about it. Then she gets locked in a cupboard with a gas canister.
0: That's like, coming. You know? That's coming. Yeah.
1: Despite all Yo- this, she's fairly well written though.
0: Well, yeah, I think... lots
2: of her showing empathy and sympathy for people and using her instincts to get out of tricky situations. She's kind of smart enough to figure things out on her own doesn't need the doctor by her side there's lots of kind of facets to her character and
0: yeah, yeah I
1: think like that she, she gets locked in that room she figures the best thing to do is bang on the door and shout and wait
0: <laughs> nothing else okay maybe not that scene in particular but stab the doors is one bit as well. <laughs> yeah and <laughs> uh, the metal man um she's they're obviously trying to like turn her from rampaging savage to a gradual kind of humanising,
1: yeah, which you can understand unless you're frozen.
0: I remember. Yeah, there he was again,
1: he's off. It's a shame because just at the start, where he starts getting a flow again, <laughs> it's almost like we plan it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is he back? There he's, he's moving now. I'm back?
0: I, back. I think, are, Am I yeah, Dave's,
2: Dave's gone yeah. small again, so that means you're back.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> you, All right. when, when I'm with Dave goes small, is that what we're taking from this? Um, Sorry, Dave. That's right. Where, where did we get to when I started uh, breaking up? Humanising Leela, yes. Humanising Leela, yes, because she's on this sort of obviously originally getting picked up as some sort of savage, and then she needs to sort of gradually get to sort of more civilised and Les going to stab everyone but she's still obviously got moments of it hence they do that again and I'll cripple you, line yeah she does get a fair bit of that in this but it's not as much as it maybe could be I sound like I'm doing Dave's job for him here but
1: no she, she's underused but there's not much for her to do she is no. as you say it's a savage from the jungle so on board a null metal mining ship up against robots there isn't really much she could do without changing the character
0: no exactly exactly
1: so the user as uh, best he can it's just not necessarily the best story to use her in.
0: I'm just <laughs> looking at Lee getting assaulted by his cat there <laughs> yeah <laughs> shove my cat face in your chin there we go uh, this is the motor. also Dask notices that a robot is damaged and ends up putting a corpse marker on it which kinda gives a big indication as to where we're going here yeah Saying that, yeah, it's kind of been the guy that's been defending robots all this time and saying that it couldn't possibly go wrong. That's maybe the guy that's behind all this.
1: And, and maybe in that staff meeting earlier where he'd known what the corpse markers were, if they said, all right, everyone, turn out your pockets, and he had a pocket full of them, that might have been a tip <laughs> that that was him. Would have made it for a very short episode, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the one part Doctor Who story. Yeah. <laughs> So there's what I was to say. This is Dask pretty much getting revealed as evil guy extraordinaire. Um, yeah, so especially when he starts... Hurts. Yeah. Especially when we start go- he starts going about calling other robots brother. So it's a bit like, you know, the Masonic Lodge, only more silver.
1: It's hard not to think of what politics they were deliberately putting into this. Yeah, it's a strange. Because it sometimes feels like there is. There's a lot of brother and unionisation and class warfare. But is it really meant, or were they just that's how they f- were thinking at the time
0: I don't think it's really meant if you're meaning that you know this is kind of like evil union kind of thing
1: well,
2: I don't I know it might be a bit of that because a lot of that sort of stuff does seep into 70s Doctor Who stories especially in the Pertwee era yeah you get a lot of kind of you know the of, like the monster of Peladon being about the joining the EU and like the likes of the Green Death about big corporations so yeah but, uh, I think it probably would influence
1: Every script. And are the robots in this an allegory for immigrants? They look mean? like us, but they're not the same as us. They don't speak the same language. They don't have the same feelings, but we can use them for work. That's fine. <laughs> Just don't give them rights. But yeah. again, maybe that's me projecting about politics. into Doctor Who stories meant for children.
0: Possibly. Possibly. Um, this is the bit, also the scene after this, is where D84 and the Doctor meet together. Um we I don't think Tom Baker looks more alien as the doctor than the moment he pulls the curtain to one side to confront Deity 4 in this scene. If you freeze frame it at the very moment he goes da da like that, then it's he just looks off it <laughs> in the best possible way. Yeah, I love quite. this scene for that this moment alone is worth it. Um, I kind of touched on it earlier as well but I think there's a fantastic, is it Gregory Deportnier that plays D84 you were saying? That's right, yes I, his name yeah. was that? I was pulling that one from the back of my head I think his performance in this is bloody well done, Seeing as obviously he would have been pretty limited as to what he can do as he has to be a robot but you still kind of warm a 84 because he's kind of like, he's a bit Marvin the Paranoid Android, a little bit, <laughs> um, and he's just a bit like, kind of going, and you know, with his voice like this. and yeah, uh, I've
1: I've literally got in my notes new companion for the Doctor, Marvin the Sad Android. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's literally in my notes, because because that's why it's the same tone of voice. It's just oh, yeah. all right then, let's go do that.
0: I require just... evidence.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they almost sort of do that in the last episode from their freedom of working together. It's very much like his doctor, the Doctor and these two companions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's maybe oh, what yeah. They were
2: trying to. That's maybe what they were trying to aim for further in line when they brought Chameleon in. Uh, except they just ballsed it up entirely with a really cumbersome, ineffectual prop.
0: Yeah, apparently was Chameleon not in the comic book at the time? Uh, I'm not sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think that was the there's the something I remember the reading about it, the fact that they tried to introduce Camille at the T V show because he's quite a hit in the comic book at the time. Mm-hmm. And obviously, very, very easy to draw a shapeshifting android <laughs> in comic book form. Not yeah. so much having a prop that has to not be like, uh like that on the street <laughs> all the time. And be propped up against something literally to stop it falling doing. Yeah, um, it's very much
2: a one medium android, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I, yeah, but I seem to remember reading that, that um, he was quite a popular character in the comic books that tried to put him that in the television. That
2: would make stuff. sense. Yeah. D84 working. I mean, fair enough, it's a guy in a robot suit, and quite noticeably yeah. so. But it was a, a little bit more range and a bit more practicality if you're going yeah. to go down that route. So it, it's, I could see that working.
0: It's, yeah, it's a performance that. You know, All the rest of the androids on the ship the, the, the robots are all just a bit cold and rightly so they have to be but D84 you kind of warm with him because he's a little bit of a kind of like, he's a bit of The just more a scenes plus. he's in he
1: gets more character as well.
0: Yeah, he's really good. I really liked him as a character I think he's quite a good plus point in this entire thing where it could have been horribly wrong and it could have just been well he's just like a soulless bit of machine Yeah. You know, yeah. There we go. This part is when we hear about um, Taron Capel, who's a robotic engineer. And from childhood, he's only lived with robots.
1: The robot Tarzan, isn't
0: it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's, it becomes a bit Kaiser Sose the usual suspects. Like, who is Taron Capel? Yeah. So they've so, kind of tried to... They, obviously, now you kind of know that Dask is the guy commanding all the robots... Well, he's one
1: of only four people left alive by this point.
0: Well, yeah, pretty much. And they're trying to kind of put a little bit more mystery back into it and eke out a little bit towards the end so that he's, you know, there's still a little bit of mystery as to Ooh, who's Tyron Capel? Is he another guy that's going to pop up here?
2: So is Capel the guy we see operating on the robots, the Gary Glitter? Does, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that, does yeah. it seem by the disco KKK are operating on a robot?
0: Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Ben Kittinger, yeah. Otherwise yeah. otherwise known as, otherwise known as Dask, yeah. It's the same right. guy. Yeah. Okay, so it's Dask. Okay. It's the same guy. And I've got here with a quotation: "Is failure is one of the most basic freedoms," according to the Doctor. So That's um, like he's the freest person in the universe. Yeah. Well, here you go. Then there's the moment where one of the robots has to go in after Toos. Who's now having a little lie down in her quarters, thank you very much, in her swanky boudoir. Um, On a mining ship. On a mining ship, yes. And the interesting point is when Toos wants Leela to tend to her arm injury and not a robot. Yeah. So for the first time we see a member of the crew maybe now go, eh, nah, not so much with this robot idea yeah See there's already about four people have died (laughs) I'll
1: let you know Leela versus Robot I don't know which I'd choose
0: well exactly depends on how many batteries you've got Um, (laughs) all the robots are commanded to each kill a remaining human it would seem there's then a moment where one of the robots confronts Leela and the robot starts chiming in about how there's no escape there's no escape and then Lila escapes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not yeah. a lot the of. The scene starts
1: stuff. with her hiding behind the door. Then the door opens and she stands there. and The robot comes in. She stands there. The robot turns around and looks at her. And then she runs back into the room. What was the point of hiding behind the door?
0: I don't know. Maybe. Do you think she could? Maybe you thought she could maybe take it on. And then decides against it. Because you just try to throw Maybe. a knife at it, and it just kind of sticks and bounces off it, and then yeah,
2: completely for comedy sound effect, it's in no way out yeah, of place. Yeah. Of...
0: yeah, it would, you know, it wouldn't be out of place. to... You know, it, they might as well have just gone the whole hog and had like a kind of Batman style A <laughs> <to whack laughs> bit of uh,
2: soul in there as well, just to, you know.
0: Yes. Whereas, as as Adam West gets out of his anti-robot spray, <laughs> you know, robot repellent. Then the doctor finds the workshop, which has the um, is it the Laser Sun?
1: Yes, yeah, the Laser sun probe.
0: The Laser Sun probe, which Swe- apparently can.
1: Yeah, the naming of which is right up there with Robots of Death. The uh, <laughs> yeah. Laser Sun probe, that'll do.
0: That'll do. Yeah, pub, pub. <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> so- it can apparently, I can't remember the quote <laughs> of Subhead, is it can punch holes in plate armour but remove yeah, one or it can stone, take the crystal snowflake. off a
1: snowflake, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the only thing it's used for in the entire episode is stabbing people in the head.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not a great shining example of it's, it's not exactly the QVC cell. Literally, for this.
1: Yeah. Nah, if you, I see, you've been stabbing people in the head with it. Have you tried the back of the head?
0: Have you tried the back of the head? Or have you indeed tried chopping potatoes? Because it does that really well. <laughs> That's fi- five interchangeable blades. It has five interchangeable blades. Look, if you buy in the next half hour, we'll give you two. <laughs> two lasers right.
1: and probes for the price of one. <laughs> two lasers and probes for the price of one.
0: Comes with a carry case. A laser and <laughs> carry case for the belt carry. Either in blue for the fellas or pink for the ladies.
1: Yours now for twenty-seven interest-free payments of twenty-three ninety-seven, yep. which, as you'll see, is a saving of twelve pence.
0: We've, we've we've seen these in the warehouse this morning; they're going fast already. They'll probably have sold out by the top of the hour.
1: And that yeah, noise you... means it's a price drop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because we've worked out it's defective, and we'll probably murder you in your sleep.
0: Yep. Yep. <coughs> but there we go. So anyway. Uh, that's, anyway, <laughs> the adverts. But, that was, that's the adverts that's out of the way um, the doctor informs Toose to get everyone to the command deck <clears throat> and this is also the moment that Toose tries to leave her boudoir but one robot is at the door trying to kill her and Toose tries to kill the robot with of all things pottery
1: <laughs> yeah she traps his hand in the door yes. runs halfway across the room to pick something up and picks the smallest lightest thing you've ever seen Comes yes. back and just gently taps it on the fingers with it. The yeah. decorative vase of yes. death, <laughs> of death, but not even hard enough to break the vase.
0: <laughs> no. So De4 goes off to help uh, Toos, because, uh, as the robots say, all humans are to die. Pool is in the. Oh yeah, I forgot about a little bit earlier on. Pool suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, with not much of a setup develops robophobia.
1: yeah (laughs) he sees blood
0: yeah I think that's about the mark of it is the fact that he sees a robot with blood in its hand therefore in his mind confirming that it is it has been doing the murders or one of them whatever and then that's his whole world about trusting robots blown to smithereens and so therefore he has a bit of a mental breakdown about a a bit he becomes non-functional
1: yeah because he's seen blood on a robot, which is the one thing that a robot wouldn't actually have, is blood. So he's not really afraid of the robots. He's afraid of blood and death.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a we I was trying desperately to kind of work around the defence of this, and that's the only thing I can really think of, is the fact that it suddenly triggers some latent kind of memory in him, or suppressed feeling. Yeah. And even that's I'll admit, a bit rickety. <laughs> So, yeah, pulls in the robot storage, cowering underneath a um, desk or something like that, and Leela finds him there. Um, But as we say, he's not really active in this anymore. Yeah. Um, And then the commander finds the doctor in the workshop, so instantly accuses him of uh, being up to no good. But then so does a robot, and we get the brilliant moment where the doctor's like, kind of going, well, it depends on which one of us is going to try and kill first. Is it you or is it me? And then he kills the doctor's... uh, the robot's just walk across the room going, kill the Doctor. Kill the Doctor. The doctor, point,
1: the doctor just stands there.
2: Yeah, he's
0: very calm in the face of a throttling, isn't he? Well, uh, he's really got no one else to go. He's kind of literally <laughs> in a dead end. It's, yeah, but he could, like, put his hands up or some something. <laughs> not
1: just stand there and go, oh yeah, your hands are around right my throat now.
0: <laughs> yeah. But there you go. Are we one to four? We are at this point, yeah. The commander actually saves the Doctor, and then I've uh, so that's a bit of a turn up for the books because obviously the commander was uh, dead set against him, so even five minutes beforehand. Uh, Two is just about dead as well because she's nearly on the end of a throttling.
1: All, all the throttlings, all the robot point of view shot feels a bit snuff filmy for me.
2: It's a nice effect though, the video effect. Yeah, it is. And you see it from the, it's kind of like, again, going back to aliens. Yeah. Where you have the yeah. point of view of the Marines on the screen. It's that nice sort of
1: grainy sort of quality it's got. But it's it almost does put you in, in, the, in the mind and the eyes of a killer. Yeah. And it's quite a weird feeling.
0: Um, I think uh, James Cameron would uh, see this and rip it off later on for Terminator 2. Maybe from Terminator 1. I can't remember if there's any point of view shots in Terminator 1.
1: Yeah, there is. There's a few.
0: Is there a few? Yeah, uh, same. You get Terminator a few then.
1: where you see it from Arnie's point of view and it's all his stuff on the screen. His head's on yeah. display stuff.
0: Oh, aye, I remember the one now. Because it's, it's that when he arrives in the bar, isn't it, at the start?
1: Yeah, you don't you don't really see them choking people though. Sorry, I'm just thinking of the Terminator
2: with Muppets in now. <laughs> <laughs> I want
0: your shoes, your clothes, and your motorcycle.
1: <laughs> Miss Peggy is Sarah Connor.
0: And your rubber chicken. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you see the funny thing is we are now referencing stuff that we were talking about in the <laughs> halftime break. It's going to have to go in at the start now isn't it it's
0: going to have to yeah. go in the start yeah <laughs> never mind then, yeah it's quite, we... it's quite snuffy violent yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah 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 but it's, it's yeah hats and scarves apparently kill robots who knew <laughs> um yeah well, there's and, some nice uh, lines
2: of dialogue from the robots
1: at this point please don't kill me
0: <laughs> yes I am not the doctor, doctor. <laughs> yeah but it's quite
1: nice because kill f- fascists so scarves kill robots <laughs> yeah
2: I have been approaching
1: horses all week.
2: <laughs> I am not Tom Baker.
0: SV7
1: calling
0: the baby. A <laughs> uh, simple no thank you would have <laughs> sufficed.
1: D84 is putting it in now. <laughs> right to the gar, you always have to oh, go there. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Sorry, carry on.
0: Oh. SV7 is the one calling the shots. Leland to hide in the hopper. Which the robots don't check. um, Because literally just go, we've already checked those, we will move on. (laughs) Okay. So then we get SV7 trying over the intercom to find out the position of Toos. So she tells him that um, she's still in her quarters. uh, And that uh, SV7 says, oh, you should remain there. There's a lot of danger if you go out and about. Then there's the thing with the voice patterns. So everyone's voice patterns are in the command program. So they... Robots will listen to the voice balance of whoever's on the crew. Yeah. So this is kind of what we're setting up for later on. Which it's so... just weird,
1: because when they go around killing people, they don't do it by voice recognition. They just go around and choke them. What is that? It's a bit yeah. of a flaw there.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> it's not the <laughs> ideal thing.
1: Yeah. Um... That's, that's the main way they recognise people to kill them is the way they look.
0: It's just like, yeah, you're human, you're going to die we end up with everyone on the command deck so the Doctor, Leela, the Commander Ivanov and Tusa are on the command deck Being there, they're really the only ones left alive apart from Dask uh, and there's pool as well, Pool comes in but obviously he's got robophobia so he's just like ranting into a complete void there's then the underlying kind of story to this that kind of feels like it maybe could have <coughs> been a little bit more evolved in that one other person died a few years ago under the commander's watch, and it was Zilda's brother. And that's what Zilda found earlier on, that upset her so much. Yeah.
1: But what did she find that actually upset her? Because surely she already knew that her brother was dead.
0: I think it was more the fact that the commander was the one that kind of not did it, but didn't really bother to do much about it, or... As
1: we've seen him capable of.
0: Yeah, because he's quite cold and just kind of went on with it and went on with the, like, mining but... anyway.
1: But I, I don't quite know what she could have found. Was it his permanent record that the think was on? She was just in there reading his record?
0: Possibly. Because it's not like she could have
1: found a crew photo and gone, so that's where my brother was when he died.
0: No. It's a bit... Yeah, I was kind of looking at this and going, uh, I'm trying to come up with a defence of this. The only defence is I think it's sounds a bit odd, but it doesn't really play much of any a further part in the no. story itself. Mm. To the point where I've literally just got one line about it and nothing else about it at all.
1: It's so a side t- story that doesn't impact on anything.
0: No, and it kind of like you could just probably remove that and it would have been done. So it doesn't really do much harm, but it's not really much use of it being there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of idea. SV7 tells them over the intercom they've got five minutes to surrender. And so they have a choice between either dying quickly if they surrender or dying slowly if they don't. So we're back to that kind of like choose your adventure. You're screwed either way. Thing. Yeah. There's blasting powder on the bridge, so we can make it into, and I quote, anti-robot bombs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of invention at work here, is there? No,
0: there's not. No. How do no. uh,
1: stop the robots of death? Uh, anti-robot bombs. All right. Pop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the ask is at the door. What in. Obviously there's they somebody
2: can't. Somebody at the door. Door. There's somebody. <laughs>
0: um, I am Rod all the modern day references for all the kids watching this <laughs> listen to this show
2: just a 25 year old Fist of Fun reference there for all the kids listening
0: yep and an even older pink windmill one where's my jelly Kevin Eldon man Kevin Eldon the actor the Kevin Eldon <laughs> I showed Kyle bits of Big Train the other day he was laughing his he off
1: <laughs> Big Train is on Amazon Prime but it's like Half of the episodes. Is it?
0: Yeah, get have only got yeah. like series 1 and 2 and they did 4 or something like that,
1: didn't they? Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's not even that. It's series 1, but it's like episodes 1, 3, 4 and 6
0: yeah.
1: of series 1. It makes no sense. Yeah. But, which is quite fair in with Big Train. <laughs> but not if you <laughs> want yeah. to watch
0: it. Yeah. Maybe it's uh maybe they're gonna find series like episode two of Big Train in a BBC engineer's uh attic somewhere in Melbourne or something like
2: shed. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna piece it <laughs>
0: they're gonna piece it together. There was probably a blackface in it, so they're not allowed to show it. What have I got here? I'm trying to decipher Is my somebody notes. Somebody at the door. <laughs> somebody? <laughs> at the door? So Dask's at the door one in, um, little do Tuse and the commander know because they can't see through the door that he has a whole lot of his robot buddies with him and he seems to have decided to paint himself in with the whole shindig and be one of the party.
1: Yeah, because he wants to be in their gang.
0: Yep, he's Karen Capel, he's the one that grew up with robots and he sees humans as being scum even though he hasn't quite realised that he is one. I think that's the genuine. He has this kind of weird, yeah, kind of idea that he's he's human as well, but he counts himself as a machine because he was just brought up by them. But anyway, they try and then wire into Das command circuits so they can override them later on. This is the plan that's going on with it. But they start going about the um, the deactivator, the laser sun Yeah, it comes like the deactivator. So it effectively just means you're going to stab it in someone's head, as you say.
1: It's, it's the sonic screwdriver for these episodes.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's, there's not really a... There's kind of a lack of elegance <laughs> about the whole process in this. And yeah. I know we were talking earlier on at the top of the show about, you know, the this sort of being the optimistic side of science fiction. But this is kind of the first moment where Robots to Death really gets a little bit, kind of, with the actual kind of robots. It does feel a little bit like it's kind of cobbled together a little bit, kind of not really refined in any way. That in order to change programming, we're effectively just going to put a big needle in your forehead. Yeah. It's a bit like it's a bit like a lobotomy with more metal. Yeah. But
1: it's a robot yeah. lobotomy.
0: Robo yeah. lobotomy the commander back on the bridge uses a bomb to kill one of the robots and this seems to fill him with some great confidence because then he's sort of saying that we should take the fight to them and they disappear off through the recently blown out hole in the bridge to um go and kill themselves some robotic murderers
2: and why did they blow a hole in the bridge I think there's a point where the robots trying to get in from that side of
1: the bridge it
0: was like through a window a... kind of yeah, thing yeah sort of a so flimsy blew a hole through. in it um, but, the robot well, it was
1: that, it was at that point. get through the bathroom they start... door so he was tapping on it so they went over and blew a hole in it for
2: him <laughs> I think the thinking is they used one of the anti-robot bombs because this shield is so flimsy that it still attaches to the robot and then takes him out a side effect of that is massive hole in the wall yeah yeah. I had no sign of Dale Winton
0: I suppose.
2: <laughs>
0: Christ. It's
2: because there a massive um, hole in the wall. If <laughs> it's <laughs> a small one, probably right at that size. it. I'm off like a oh, cubicle door.
0: Oh dear. Oh dear. What goes on in these Edinburgh towns? <laughs> I don't want to know. Dask cannot comprehend that one of the robots has been destroyed. I am near human. But a mere human, you know, pathetic flesh and blood, blah 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 blah. And once again, Leela is locked away somewhere um, because she ends up in a cupboard, but this time with a can of helium for company. <coughs> so they're in the robotic workshop. Dask arrives. Uh, Leela is told to open up the valve as soon as Dask gets in the room. So, unbeknownst to Dask, um, there's obviously going to be helium floating through the entirety of the um, this scene. The Doctor ends up getting captured and put on the, the bench um, because the idea is it's going to be... Uh, he's going to have some, you know this laser something thing drilled through his own heat and his brain burnt out. D4 has been kind of like partially destroyed in the lead-up to all this. He's crawling across the floor of the deactivated anyway. And um, Dask says that uh, robots will be free and won't be used as slaves to human dross. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a nice little line. There is the... Deactivators activated is that is a thing kind of, um, and then the robot then can't recognise Dask's um, voice patterns because he's gone all very high pitched. He's got a bit Joe Pasquale. The robot just walks over and strangles Dask instead, thus ending his whole plan. Then everyone, all the other robots are kind of like cancelled out anyway, and um, we get uh, um, the Doctor Hoyen... Leela out of the cupboard and then they troop off back to the TARDIS and on their merry way Leela does actually mention should we not actually make sure everyone's alright mm-hmm. and it seems to be very much kind of like oh no I'll be fine we'll just carry <laughs> on yeah
2: they've only seen the crew ruthlessly murdered by people they
1: trusted. it
0: yeah. Yes. There'll be no lasting side
1: effects of that. No, lasting, just no lasting
0: psychological side effects. Let's just yeah. go.
1: It's a mining ship that requires a crew of ten and twenty robots to function, and if it stops moving, it'll sink and they'll all die. But they'll be fine.
0: <laughs> Big grand.
1: <laughs> but doctor, why didn't the helium work on you? Ah, uh, tell me why me doctor stuff.
0: <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, this. I've got. A... Basic system, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, that's your essentially your basic story of uh, robots to death. Yeah.
2: Okay. Right, so I start uh, wrapping up then. Cameron, do you want to give the case for the defence, the uh, uh, I will give closing the statement?
0: Case. So, robots to death is not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who because we don't often see the Doctor being able to go full on detective in any kind of story. Uh, in robots to death, there is a defined use of his guile and quick thinking and wits it's not a case of sort of waving a sonic screwdriver or going back to the TARDIS and inventing something and then just um coming back with it and that solves everything it's an intertwined story it's full of various characters it's overshadowed a lot by human greed uh and the effects that can have on um your responses to other people it's very interesting to see even from this opening scene the little cogs that kind of go around in this crew and how obviously some don't get on with each other like any other workplace you get along better with other folks than uh you do with some and which is something you can relate to quite well i mean i think it would have been tempting just to have sort of like oh yeah everyone just gets along and it's all fine we're just part of the same crew hey ho what is it there's a whole lot going on here regarding the members there's a lot of characters that this script balances out quite well Obviously, a lot of them die quite quickly, but and that's maybe part of it. It does get lighter in that effect as it goes on. But at no point do you feel in this entire four-parter, does it feel top-heavy? Does it feel like everything's kind of collapsing in on itself? It's quite well-balanced in that sense, in that you don't kind of ever think, nah, this is a bit all over the place, isn't it? Costumes and the set design is rather brilliant. I like this style of, you know, the kind of Art Deco style ship, I like the costumes. As we've discussed, it is a bit of a contrast to the kind of gritty sort of miners' uniforms they could have had. I think that makes the story a lot better, it makes it stand out, it makes it something a wee bit different. And as I said at the start, you can look at a still from Robots of Death and know instantly it's Robots of Death. You don't have to kind of go, oh, it's a quarry somewhere in Wales that could be one of 17 different stories. There's a fantastic performance by Tom Baker as the Doctor. I think it's probably one of his strongest, I'd say, in his time as Doctor. Also, as we said before as well, D84, despite having to be a robot and despite not really having much scope to sort of overemphasize anything, ends up being quite a cool character. You kind of almost wish that they could have brought him along for a few more to be a companion for a little while, and that would have been quite interesting. Yeah, so it, from a performance point of view, he's really good as well so it's not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who for those reasons
1: okay then Dave case for the prosecution you want to give you a closing statement
0: yeah of course so uh,
1: I'll start at the start the model of this that Cameron thinks is great there's no detail on it there's no sense of scale it's a flat plastic sided model so every time they cut to it you think oh yeah that's a model you don't have any sense of the scale like you do Things like Star Wars, and I know it was a much higher budget, but even just a couple little LED windows on the side would have made it feel like there was more scale to this ship. We go on board the ship, and the staff are just lounging around the best appointed crew room I've ever seen anywhere. And they're just sitting around gossiping, telling stories. But amongst the things they never gossip about, that bloke that went mad the last time the commander was out. (laughs) The, The new guy that's in charge of the robots that seems a bit weird, They never talk about the fact that every time they fall asleep, somebody keeps drawing on their face with a sharpie, (laughs) because that's what it looks like. But we meet the crew, and you've got, you know, the usual mining reprobates, except they're all models that lounge around and get massages. You've got the commander that's obsessed with class and money, despite the fact that we're told he's the best captain in the fleet, therefore he's probably got a fair amount of money already. Unless he's made it on reputation and lost it all, which doesn't seem likely. So, you don't really understand what these people are doing on a mining ship. And they never seem to do any actual mining. They see one storm, and they go around, and then they all change positions. That's it. You don't actually see them doing any work. So obviously, all the work's done by the robots. But the story never defines what the robots do and what the robots are good for. We get told they do exactly what they're programmed to do and nothing else. But the whole time we get given little glimpses of robot personality. So are we meant to believe that these people have never seen the robot personality or they've seen it and not believed it or it's all just nonsense and they know robots might have personality. So the whole robots are just robots or robots are things doesn't really work in this. Then you've got the bad guy, the villain, the mad scientist which is what he literally is in this. He's a mad scientist that was brought up by robots. Now, what robots was he brought up by that know how to bring up children? Because these are all specialised robots, we're told that. These ones do this, these ones do that job, these ones do that job. He happened to be found as a baby by child-rearing robots. Which either means that he was brought up entirely by robots, or his whole backstory is nonsense. But that's fine, because they build up this legend of the man who was raised by robots. And he's leaving the brotherhood of robots to freedom. And then we meet him... And he's just a bit of a weirdo. And as soon as we meet the bad guy, he instantly means his reputation is bigger than the character, which is kind of the inverse or the same as we get now whenever we see, oh, it's the master. And we go, oh, yeah, it's the master. We saw him last season. Whereas this guy, we go, ah, he was raised by robots. He's an evil genius. Ah, okay, he just doesn't believe that people can do things, which is a bit of a problem with us because you think he's an evil genius, but his plans are undone by a scarf and a hat. (laughs) and then again they're undone by helium you think it's this big mad evil guy Oh, he's got a squeaky voice that's it, it's ruined, the reputation of the bad guy's gone (laughs) so the story's great, I like the story of this, it's a good idea but you don't like any of the characters because the commander is a whining, money-obsessed lunatic all of his staff disrespect him for no good reason he's the best captain so they should do what they're told but they don't actually have a reason to not like him they just don't like him they don't respect him they don't do what they're told the staff swan off on breaks whenever they feel like it so you don't actually like anyone that dies which you kind of should the one that you should like pool he's been sent to investigate a possible robot uprising and yet he's got robophobia who picked him for this job was there no psychological testing Oh yeah, he moves like a hunter. Ah, there's some blood! And suddenly he's crying under a desk. (laughs) So it's a good story with loads of good ideas, but none of it's done that well. And I found myself getting quite annoyed by the way they treated some of the people in it. Because, yes, there was a bit of a thing about how dare humans do this, humans are crap. But you don't need to walk into a room and slap Leela. You don't need to slap the jelly babies out of the Doctor's hand just because he's offered you one. It's very... At times misogynistic, but it's also needlessly violent in a lot of places, which, as Cameron said, it's a detective story. Detective stories you don't really need the violence. You have the violence from the bad guys, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but we had violence in this from everyone. There was Leela threatening to cripple people, there was other people walking in the room slapping each other. So it wasn't a detective story, it wasn't an action story, it was kind of between the two and I don't think it worked for that reason. So yeah, it's a great story. But badly used characters, bad characters generally, and a bad, bad guy because you don't really feel he's that bad. You'd think he's a bit mental and he's a bit of a dick. So yeah, I think it's guilty of Crimes Against Doctor Who.
2: Okay, that's two very strong cases then. Uh, let's get into the verdict. So, there's a lot to commend with the robots of death. From a production point of view... I won. <laughs> from a production point of view... It looks great, despite being very much coupled together on a shoestring budget. The model shots and filming done at Ealing, they are pretty well done, they're well shot, well directed. They do bring something to the story. The sets, aside from the control room, are small, compact, claustrophobic, which is exactly fitting with the sort of murderer and rules subject matter of the whole story. You do get the sense of there being places to run but nowhere to hide. Uh, there's some really good performances at work here, Leela in particular, is really well written by Chris Boucher. She's not the reactionary savage we see later on in perhaps less skilled hands. But here she shows empathy, caring, concern, an ability to think on the same level as a Doctor with regards to solutions to problems. It's up there with probably one of the best depictions of a Doctor Who companion in a classic series. Louise and Tom make a really good team despite not speaking to each other at the time this was being recorded. The supporting cast are particularly good there is a real chemistry at work with the actors they do make you buy into the idea of this being a ragtag bunch from together in the name of profit and being a very dysfunctional work family the story itself is pacey it whips along at a fair speed it's tight there's mystery afoot are the robots going rogue by themselves or is there a human influence at play manipulating them and at the end it turns out to be a little bit of both but for all this, the story is let down by a borderline ridiculous resolution. Helium is used to defeat the big bad, which fair enough is a very doctor who way of wrapping up a story. But why don't, the re- why don't the robots recognise Dask on sight, which seem to be able to do with all the other characters in the story? It just seems daft. Robots of Death is so close to being up there with the greats of this era. It looks every bit as good as Talons of Wen Chiang, Pyramids of Mars, or the Brain of Morbius, but it's completely undercut by the hurried feel of the ending. The other stories build up to a satisfying climax. This sadly falls at the final hurdle. It's guilty of crimes against Doctor Who, but only just Yep, well, well. a <laughs> silence descends upon the courtroom. Cameron any final thoughts?
0: No, I I still stick by the fact that it's I like the story I like the characters in it I think it's an interesting little interwoven web and it's Tom Baker being maximum Tom Baker which is always a good thing apart from maybe Lala Ward (laughs)
1: Dave, any final thoughts? I can't really disagree with Cameron there because he didn't say much. He's right. Tom Baker is in it. (laughs) Being Tom Baker. Being Tom Baker. Great defense there. Tom Baker's being Tom Baker in it. I think the judge is right on this one. It's close to being good. It just doesn't quite finish any of it. They don't finish the story off. They don't finish the characters off. And it's a hurried ending.
2: Okay, well that's the decision of the courtroom. It's been found guilty of crimes against Doctor Who but only just... As always, though, it's not up to us. The final vote comes down to the listeners. You get to decide whether the robots of death goes into the unofficial official canon of Doctor Who. So we're going to put up a poll on Twitter for a few days after this episode goes out. Vote guilty or not guilty. We'll reveal the results in the next episode. Talking of which, it's time for the Envelopes of Justice.
1: So, yes.
2: Cameron, uh, you won the last vote, but mm-hmm. you're uh, want to do a slightly different
1: thing this time around, do not you?
0: yes because I think it's it's getting a bit dull sort of it being me all the time yeah, I feel a bit it's bad. getting
1: dull that Cameron <laughs> keeps winning all the time <laughs> we Cameron yeah well it's not, I just Apart just, just
0: getting you won it's, it's not just for my enjoyment Dave it's just for the good of the bod- podcast as a whole
1: okay. yeah yeah
2: right Cameron what are we going to do with this
0: right <laughs> well I think the deal was that I'll still pick it until I went to stop but then Dave gets to choose what he's doing okay alright All right. which I think has Dave not already put his colours to mask that he's defending it no matter what it is I think, <laughs> yes I think he, he has I will right.
1: defend whatever comes out of the box
0: Dave's defending okay. whatever comes out of this box okay go for this it this could hideously
2: backfire on you Dave
0: Come this on. could really <laughs>
2: terribly go wrong okay right I'm going to start running my finger across the envelopes Cameron at any point you want just say stop and okay. then what we draw Dave will defend by his All own right. choice we're go. Off. I'm running my finger back and forth along the envelope. Stop. Okay. Right. Dave? Is there anything in particular that might come out that you would really especially want to defend? What are you hoping for? What's in your wish list, Dave?
1: Uh, as long as it's not fear her, that's fine. But that's only because I don't want to make Cameron defend that.
0: <laughs> You're desperate for me to defend fear her.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. We have something... Bowie Letts and Ted and Stix to of Doctor Who, so we've got a Pertwee. Alright. A wee. So, some stinkers, some epics. Let's find out what we've got. we wise we've done Planet of Spiders,
0: mm-hmm. The Green
2: Death. Yep. I think that's been it.
0: That's about it, parrotry yeah,
2: wise yes. Just a few Pertwees. Right then, let's find out what we're doing in episode 28 then. Our next John Pertwee to go before the courtroom will be colony in space oh so we've got john Perry was the doctor we've got katie manning we've got the master this is from that series oh. where the master was the main protagonist in practically every Pretty single much story every
0: single thing yeah
2: got ogrons ogrons in it i uh, actually come to think of it this leads in to the next story so it's effectively a two-parter so Adam, let me have a look. Let's, let's Was this leading to
0: again? Was this leading to uh.
2: Colony in Space? There's
1: uh, a squint across the DVDs. Fourth and penultimate of series
2: eight. Oh, actually no, no, maybe I'm wrong. Colony in <gasps> Space goes into the demons after that. So yeah, I think it's maybe a standalone story in its own right. There definitely has a John Pertwee where It's two separate stories, but they link together. Is yeah. it? I think Colony Space is maybe the standalone then. Okay. There's definitely. Yeah, ah, hold on. Maybe maybe it's uh, to the one we didn't plan out the Daleks. So that's later on. Okay. Well, regardless, if we're doing Colony in Space. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. It turns out it's yeah. a two-parter. We can do the second part further down the line, whenever
1: that might be.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think we've got a nice sort of round four-parter we can get our teeth uh, into. I think you'll find this a six-parter. Was it a six-part? Yep. ah, 6.25 okay. minute episodes maybe that's why it feels like
2: it's a two part of them because it's so long <laughs> but I think Ouch. this is going to be one of these ones that can, can tip you away it's not a story that I don't think many people have got strong feelings about it's not something that people leap to the defence of or actively hate so
0: this could be a I, close one I can't remember if I've got it or not I'll have to have a look I can't remember yeah. if I've got
1: this one
2: we can have a look there we go, Dave, you're going to be defending Colony in space next episode. That's
1: fine, that works for me.
2: Part 3, the Brigadier. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, all the staples.
1: That'll be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to doing that, actually. That'll yeah, be, yeah, that'll, that'll be, be fun. Um, that'll be gonna... 25 25-minute episodes. Yep. That'll be a while of our recording. will <laughs> be fine. Yeah, we'll, I we'll, sure to... I was, we'll get back.
0: We'll start at 6 o'clock for that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the morning. Yes. <laughs> You say that about going in Space. Just wait till we get the Daleks' Master Plan. Twelve episodes, twelve whole half-hour yeah,
0: episodes. I was not thinking that it's like going. There's ones that are going to be like. In, how long is Inferno? Seven parts. That yeah, that's going to take ages. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Anything six like... is going to be an epic. Yep. But anyway, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, that's whatever. whatever. Like, Next nice we 6th part I had to get our teeth into. Colony in Space is the next one up on trial. Uh, you can go to Twitter, vote on this episode, side-tweller, um, what have we just done? The Robots of Death is guilty. That's death. the okay, one, okay. yeah. Remember death. that? <laughs> so, we'll reveal the, reveal the results in the next episode. That's been it for this one, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. we yep. put The Robots of Death on trial. This has been the boss Box. I've been Lee. I've been Dave.
0: And I've been Cameron.
2: And we'll see you next time for Colony in Space. Take care. See you later, everybody.
0: Bye. I don't know why bye I'm waving. Bye. <laughs>